What did the Biden administration do? They completely undid everything that we did in the Trump administration that I think uh, had built up deterrence and had caused Putin to not invade under our administrations. When you look at Xi Jinping, when you look at what he says the last time he was with Putin, he said there's gonna be a change in the world order that the world hadn't seen in 100 years. Spoiler alert, they don't actually care about being accepted at European cocktail parties. I believe he has every intention for not only dominating Taiwan, but the South China Sea, Asia, and then the world. We're crawling along this week, but guess what? It's exciting. If you're a political nerd tonight, the Michigan primary, 55 delegates at stake, likely another big loss for Nikki Haley. She wants to continue until next Tuesday though, when a bunch of states, 15 of them are on the ballot and one territory. A lot of delegates at stake. That will, I think, be the official end of Nikki Haley. Who knows how she slinks out of this, though? I don't get it. Um, so this is going to be interesting, but it's not just the Republican side. Biden is facing calls against him, big calls. Members of Congress, former members of Congress, big, big Arab American community in Michigan, 200,000 Muslim voters estimated. Some people say it's much higher. It doesn't matter, though. But remember, Michigan, the last two elections has been tightly decided. So if this group of folks shows that they're going to sit out the election. That is bad news for Biden come uh, election time because there's 15 electoral votes at stake in Michigan. And so tonight, it's not about the opponent. This is like that Nevada thing where Nikki Haley lost to none of the above candidates. How much does uncommitted get today? That's going to be a big tell on the Biden side. How bad is it going to get for him? We'll keep an eye on that tonight. Um, the House and Senate leaders were down at the White House today. They're trying to strike a deal on the rest of the spending. You got four bills that, four of the appropriations bills that will go poof tonight, excuse me, on Friday night if we don't find a deal. And I don't see one happening right now. It's just the cards are not there. Uh, there's too much rancor in the House to accept this. We'll see how this plays out. I don't see a lot of movement coming out of the White House meeting today, but you've got enough problems that if Speaker Johnson doesn't want to get Democrat votes, which he doesn't, then we will face a Democratic shutdown. All of this is looming while we'll deal with the Ukraine funding. By the way, Don Jr. had a scare at his house last night. A white powder substance found. Police and hazmat units called there. So far, it looks like uh, not dangerous, not lethal. Uh, and then, by the way, President Biden was on Seth Meyers last night to celebrate the 10th anniversary. It was such a hard-hitting review that they went and got ice cream afterwards. And at that, he tried to pretend and pander to the Muslim American communities. There's going to be a ceasefire, hopefully get their votes. So much to break down on that front with Morgan Ortegas uh, about what's going on there, what we're doing, what's real, what's not. She has such a level of insight to share with us. So let's get into this whole discussion. Ukraine, the Middle East, who Trump should surround himself with in a second term in terms of the intel and foreign policy positions. Let's break it down with Morgan Ortegas. Hey, Morgan, great to see you. Uh, wow, what a lot to break down in your world. I uh, yeah. hope you're doing well. Um, so can I start? I, I know I want to get into obviously what's going on in Israel, That's not just there, but then like our politics regarding it. But I want to start with with Ukraine. There's this existential threat that we face, right? And I, I kind of want to just get your take. The way that it plays out in the US media and from the left is that, if we don't send them a big check again or a bunch of ammunition, it's all over. What, what, is the, what is the ground truth of what's really happening? 
Well, thank you for asking. I think that there's, and I'm so glad we have time to discuss this on your podcast, because I rarely get to talk about the nuances of all of this on television. And I think the history of what actually happened the past few years are really important that leads into the discussion that is happening on the supplemental and on, on, as you said, what aid should be sent to Ukraine. So first of all, it's important to remember that the first president to send lethal aid to the Ukrainians was Trump. It wasn't uh, Obama. In fact, uh, Russia invaded um, under Bush, under Obama, and under Biden, not under Trump. So we were taking a number of measures, including heavily sanctioning the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Trump, uh, as you know, you were with him, had been warning about that for years, had been warning the Russians in Europe that it was not smart for them to be dependent on Russian oil and gas, dependent on them for their energy needs, if they also thought that they uh, you know, that the Russians were an existential threat to the continent. The truth is, is that the Europeans thought that the ground wars that happened, you know, in World War I and World War II, sort of territorial conquest type ground wars, they thought that that was all behind them, that that was never going to happen. And that's why they made themselves so energy dependent on Russia. They just thought that they didn't believe Putin for what he said. They didn't believe he was going to do it, which kind of boggles my mind considering that Putin did invade in the Bush and Obama administrations. How they could not believe that he was ever going to do it is, is beyond me. And the Trump administration, Mike Pompeo, my boss, President Trump, you are my boss, uh, really, we had this theory of let's believe people, let's believe these dictators and despots. When they say they're going to do something, let's believe them. You know, too often in elite circles in America and in Europe, people are confounded because they think, well, why would Putin or Xi Jinping do X? Because then they won't be accepted at our cocktail parties. And, you know, that's that's like, the, spoiler alert, they don't actually care about being accepted at European cocktail parties. All right, folks, if you're a long time watcher of the show, you know about my friend, Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago, named the dog Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. That was the beginning of what became Delta Rescue. DeltaRescue.org is where you can see the videos of the great work that they're doing. They provide nutrition, veterinarian care to allow animals to roam free in their sanctuary, not a shelter. It's a no-kill, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. These animals can roam free. They have a home for life because of the work that Leo Grillo has done. And he needs our help. It's through our contributions, five, 10, a hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever you can spare to make sure that Delta Rescue can provide these services. But more than that, if you go on the website, deltarescue.org, you can see the videos, but you can also see the estate planning kit. And if you're an animal lover like I am, you've rescued a dog, a cat, whatever, you can go on this estate planning kit and make it part of your enduring mission so that Leo's dream continues for life and that these animals will always have a place to get the care that they need. Please go to deltarescue.org, check out that estate planning kit and see if you can help. So essentially we said, Pompeo, Trump said, you know what? We believe Putin for what he says. We believe in the threat. Uh, we see that he's invaded. We take it seriously. This is why we're going to sanction the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. This is why we are going to give lethal aid to the Ukrainians before Putin invades. Um, and by the way, a number of other things we were doing. We were renegotiating a treaty called New START, which is a nuclear weapons treaty. Um, the Russians desperately wanted us to go back into it. We said, hey, we're not just going back into it. First of all, the Chinese to be, need to be into it. Secondly, you guys keep cheating on all these other treaties. So we want to have a real and serious conversation. We want to have a real negotiation. And that was led by 
by Marshall Billingsley in the Trump administration. What did the Biden administration do? They completely undid everything that we did in the Trump administration that I think uh, had built up deterrence and had caused Putin to not invade under our administration. So first of all, huge mistake. Uh, Jake Sullivan and the Biden team stopped the lethal aid that we had been sending in the Trump administration. They said to the Ukrainians, well, we're only going to send it to you if Russia invades. I mean, go figure. They also got really lax on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. In fact, there was legislation in the Congress that uh, it was in the Senate that Ted Cruz sponsored uh, that had massive bipartisan support amongst Republicans and Democrats to put the sanctions back on um, Putin. Did you know one of the first times as president that Biden went down to the Senate uh, to lobby for anything was to lobby Democratic senators so that they would not vote for these Nord Stream 2 sanctions? Uh, a huge, people forget that, a huge indictment on President Biden and his team. He personally got involved to make sure that Democrat senators did not support Nord Stream 2 sanctions. You also had the, so, so you have them saying, you know what, we're going to stop the lethal aid Trump was doing. We're going to send you lethal aid if Russia invades. Uh, they basically freed up the ability for Europe to be more dependent on Russian energy exports through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Um, and then you have, they went into New START, the treaty I just talked about. They just re-upped it. Like copy and paste. Right. They didn't negotiate it. They got nothing for it. So it matters. You know, Biden also said like, oh, well, maybe if it's a minor invasion, minor incursion. Fundamentally, the Biden team never believed that Putin was going to actually invade. They thought that they could deter him through some of the intelligence uh, that they brought into, into the public, which was smart. Uh, but when you don't believe despots and dictators, then you often end up surprised. So why is that important to frame the discussion of the supplemental? It's important to me, Sean, because I refuse to be blamed for the failures of the Biden administration. Two years ago, we just passed a two-year anniversary. Putin invaded Ukraine because he was given every signal from Biden and from our European friends and allies, especially Germany and France, he was given every signal that he could get away with invading, and he did. So I want to be spared the lectures about uh, about Russia and Ukraine from the people who are responsible for it, number one. If you're looking to secure your financial future, there's no better place than talking to my friends at Bishop Gold Group. If you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, for those of you who don't know how to spell it correctly, uh, you can find out what Bishop Gold Group can do to help you with a old IRA, uh, a 401k, or just to start your journey with precious metals and make an additional investment. I've done it. I called them. I had a conversation with them. If you want to call because you don't want to go online, dial 844-984-1616. Tell them that Sean sent you. You get a free promotional gift with that call or going online, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, right? This is where you can begin your journey and, and and expand your investment portfolio to include precious metals. Like I said, I did it. You get hit up all the time. I know it. I see the commercials for this group or that group, but the folks at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust, the people that when I invested in precious metals, I called them, I had a discussion about what was best for me that met, met my needs. You can do the same. Go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and begin your journey like I did with precious metals as part of your investment portfolio. I was on a, I did a radio interview this morning and I said, this is like the arsonist getting mad that you didn't call the fire department quick enough. This right. guy started right. it. He started it. And then he's looking at us and saying, how come you guys, you Republicans aren't doing this? Um, and that's what I get so upset about is that he through so many things. And let me, I, I'm like, I literally have like 
five questions that I came up with as you were talking. But let yeah. me just, let me start with the first one. This is from today's Washington Post. It says, in Ukraine, the situation is far more dire. Law- lawmakers and national security, this is, by the way, in the context of the supplemental that they're they're talking about this, the, mm-hmm. the government funding running out. Commanders there, i.e. Ukraine, have already begun ordering fighters to ration munitions in the nation's fight against Russians' two-year-old invasion. Without U.S. defense assistance, experts say Russia will probably be able to turn the tide of the war, which has been mired in a stalemate for months. Russian President Vladimir Putin forces already captured the former Ukrainian stronghold of Advika or this month, a battle yeah. which lacked. Okay, here's my question right off the bat. Yeah. Why is it all us? Why? Where, where are these other European countries? What are they doing? It is their supposed security that is at risk beyond, obviously, the, the sovereignty of Ukraine. The sort of the big no. existential threat is these other countries. Why is it all on us? What are they doing? So great question. Uh, the Europeans have stepped up um, in terms of with their own capacity and, and are delivering much, much more uh, both military and economic aid. Uh, they can't do it at the levels that we can. But the why, I mean, there's a couple things to pick up right here. But Colbert, First, can I just uh, ask you this? Can I just mm-hmm. ask you this? The, the threat from Russia goes back to the Soviet Union. When you say they can't do it, it's because they've chosen not to. Because they always yeah. knew that we would be there. That's the thing, is that you don't worry about it if you know that somebody yeah. else is going to cover the tab. And that's so the, the thing. Yeah. Is, is the, that not fair? Because I look at these other countries really and, and they, they don't have the capability yeah. because they knew that the, the United States would run to their rescue. And this is why President Trump was so insistent that everyone start to pay their fair share in NATO, yes. because he needed them to be able to uh, af- to be able to afford to be prepared for the common defense, especially if, God forbid, we end up in some sort of uh, incursion, military incursion, conflict with China. We need the Europeans to be able to handle their own continent. Here's here's a big problem that was clearly they up- can't. Right, both in America and in Europe, and that is, and and our manufacturing capability to reproduce uh, our own munitions. And so, really interestingly, the beginning of the war, Russia really screwed up. Right, they thought they were going to take Kiev in the matter days. They thought the entirety of Ukraine was theirs. I think it could be wrong that they might settle just for Crimea at the moment, but they thought they were taking Kiev. They thought Ukraine was going to fall. They totally underestimated uh, the will of the Ukrainian people, the fighters, and their own conventional military capabilities. But what the Russians did—they're not stupid—is uh, after you know about six months of embarrassment, they got their own uh, defense industry base on a war footing, right? They understood that they were going to need to resupply themselves from an ammunition perspective and from their own military capabilities. You see today reports of at least, and, and this is in the in the public domain, for example, of at least 400 ballistic missiles that Iran is providing to Russia. You see Russia uh, getting their weaponry and getting parts that they need from North Korea. They also, again, revitalize their own industrial base so that they are able actually to quickly resupply themselves on the munition side. And then where they didn't have the capability, they went to Iran. Iran also, I reported this in the Wall Street Journal, and I think it was like fall of 22, They've been getting those suicide drones uh, from Iran. But, you know, I started talking about this a year and a half ago. Like, listen, guys, your Iran policy is undermining your Russia policy. So now Russia has gone around the world to, you know, despotic regimes, uh, whether it's China, whether it's North Korea, whether it's Iran, to get the parts they need. And they have revitalized their own industrial base to be able to resupply their own munitions much, much more quickly than we can. The U.S. and Europe 
uh, never put our own industrial bases on that same war footing. Therefore, we can't, not only can we not resupply uh, the Ukrainians uh, in the time that they need, uh, we are also running dangerously low on uh, munitions that's, ourselves. That's, that's plus, what I wanted to ask you. Isn't this the dirty secret right now, Morgan? Isn't that the dirty secret, what you just said, that it's not just about supplying Ukraine. We're screwed right now. We are not resupplying our own munitions, yeah. our own weapon system, because we've sent so much to them and we don't have the defense industrial capability to actually manufacture the replenishment. Is that fair? Yes, I, it's absolutely fair. Listen, I'm all for sending old weapons to Ukraine that we're not going to use anymore, right? And and that's, I think, in line with what we were doing in the Trump administration. May I also say, as it relates to the supplemental, I'm very supportive of, of President Trump's idea that our aid should be a loan, a loan that Ukraine uh, has to repay. We know that, like, Lend-Lease is something that, uh, you know, historically, it's not uh, it's not out of uh, out of the norm for us to loan allies and ask them to pay us back. We did it in Lend-Lease. We also did it in South Korea after that war. So I think President Trump's idea for Ukraine and others to have skin in the game makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. It does open up a bigger problem for us as it relates to preparing for a potential conflict with China is that we actually in America, Europe needs to do this as well, but let's stick to our country. In America, we need to be serious about revitalizing our defense industrial base so that we yes. can resupply our own munitions. So we can, and Sean, you and I know this being Navy reservists, so that we can actually build the ships and the submarines that would be required in the event of great power warfare, which listen, we hope that we can avoid, but we we are woefully behind on our capacity, not only for all, our munitions, but building our ships and our subs as well. Yeah, I, I just I think to me, we are literally in the middle of a, of a series of insanity. We've got our issues at the border, which is crazy that the president of the United States is more focused on another country than us, uh, which is, by the way, when I say focus, like all you have to do is start tying the wire together through the non-legal ports of entry as a good start. Um, yeah. But but I, I will leave that alone because we could go down that rabbit hole all day long. But the thing that you touched on NATO, and this is one of the questions. When I I, it's, I had this conversation with a fellow veteran middle of last week, and he said to me, you know, is the NATO stuff just bluster or what's the deal? And I said, well, to some degree. But I said, you got to understand, and you, this is why what you said brought this up and triggered it for me. Before Trump, all of these NATO countries have an obligation to spend 2% of their GDP on their own defenses, which they've been woeful on, right? It wasn't until President Trump when he said, why, why are we doing this when you won't? It's your, you're their neighbor. You're the one that you have to worry about Russia. But the thing that was so funny is the media and the left freaked out when Trump started talking about NATO. And I kept saying to folks, you're only looking at one side of the equation. Yes, Article 5 says an attack on one is an attack on all. We'll come to their defense. But the fundamental principle of NATO also says that you guys will spend 2% of your defense on this. They've been neglectful on that. Why is it only one side of the equation gets yeah. focused on? Why are we not saying, yeah, I mean, if you, if you belong to like a club, I mean, that's what NATO essentially is. And you said, I want to go to the club, but I just don't want to pay the dues. They would say, then get out. And right. right now, all these countries in Europe are saying, we want to join the club, but we don't want to actually pay the dues. So I do think that President Trump does get some credit on this point. I think a lot of it. Well, he gets a lot. I think there was only like three countries paying the 2% whenever he was inaugurated. And then he brought, you know, it, and, and Hans uh, Stoltenberg, the NATO section whenever Trump was president, actually credits President Trump to making sure the countries pledged billions of dollars um, in, into NATO. Uh, however, um, 
I, I would I think once Trump left office, I think there was an additional five countries uh, that got to the two percent. So while we do, you know, give NATO a hard time for some countries not meeting it, I think it's important to note that President Trump's actions did lead to more countries. Uh, exactly. But that's my point, though. It was him forcing these guys. I agree. That's the point, though. It was his toughness that yeah. got these guys to get a little worried and say, maybe he's serious. Maybe we should actually. Yeah. And But no one in the media ever wants to talk about the other side of the equation that they have an obligation to. In order to get the deal, you have to put skin in the game, as you said earlier on another piece. And, yeah. and they've refused to do it for decades. Trump's the one. And I was, I was with Trump, when we flew to NATO and Stoltenberg said, you know, your tough rhetoric has actually forced these guys to start wow. doing what they've agreed to do. And that was, it was like, okay, so everybody gets a little worried, but you know what? It's like, you know, it, because U.S. presidents have let these guys off for decades, they've been like, why are we going to spend money when we know that these guys will bail us out every single time? Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. There's also one point that I think is important as we talk about Ukraine in general. You know, a, a big question for me, and everybody should be asking this as we debate the supplemental. And by the way, if you want to save democracy, as the Democrats talk about, uh, then you allow for debate, you allow for disagreement. You know, as I said, I'm supportive of giving aid to Ukraine under the loan format, which was President Trump's idea, which I think is, is a great idea. I'm supportive of giving them old weapons. Um, what I What I do think deserves a lot of questioning is President Biden and his team's strategy as it relates to the Russia war Ukraine uh, for the last two years. So you have to ask yourself, why are we still in this war two years, you know, and with conceivably no end in sight? Uh, It's important to remember that in addition to President Biden and his team not giving Ukraine the lethal aid that Trump did until after Russia invaded, they have also slow walked uh, the aid for the past two years. So if I'm looking at it and I wanna aid my ally and my friend, I'm gonna give everything to them early on. I'm gonna let them go in guns blazing and try to defeat their enemy. And yes. what the Biden team has done is it's been, you know, whether it's ATACMs, whether it's F-16s, you know, you could go through the list every time the Ukrainians ask for something, the Biden team hesitates. And they say, well, we don't want to provoke Putin. If you look in the New York Times, Google the last two years of stories about Russia and Ukraine, look at what the administration says, and there will be variations of a theme of the statement. Well, if we do X, then we might provoke Putin. Uh, The genie's out of the bottle, guys. Putin was provoked, right? Like he invaded. And so I would also say that, you know, I've been critical of the slow uh, walking of the military aid to Ukraine. They'll say for, you know, three to six months, no, 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 we're not going to give them X. And then six months later, they go, okay, we're actually going to give it to them. So to me, just I feel like the Biden team has had no real strategy and they have drug out this conflict because they have constantly been worried that if they gave you if they gave Ukraine everything it needed early on, that it would provoke Putin. And maybe they were worried about provoking Putin, you know, for the nuclear weapon or something like this. But this is what Putin does. So what is the point? of slow walking a war whenever Russia is always going to have more bodies to throw at the problem. They're always going to be able to outlast you. So as Republicans, where should we be? In my opinion, I think, you know, we what we don't want to do is have the Republicans and have President Trump get blamed for something that was Biden's fault. That number right. one, that's ridiculous. Number two, I believe the President Trump is going to win in November. <clears throat> and when he does, um, I do think that he will be much better at negotiating. Listen, this team couldn't negotiate their way out of a wet paper bag. So I think what I want to do is give President Trump 
uh, enough leverage that he can go into after he's inaugurated president can go in and uh, hopefully negotiate an end to this war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I worry about the Biden team negotiating it. These are the same people who just re-upped New START with, uh, with no negotiations at all. These are the same people who, for example, relieve sanctions on Maduro because they this is in Venezuela. They got Maduro to promise that he was going to have free and fair elections. He takes the sanctions relief. What does he do? He kicks his opponent off the ballot, right? These are the people who haven't enforced sanctions in Iran and now are watching Iran give ballistic missiles uh, and kamikaze suicide drones uh, to the Russians, to the Houthis, which are attacking American ships on a daily basis. So I do not trust this team to get a good negotiated deal. These are the people that are negotiating uh, with Israel and Hamas and Qatar in Paris right now for only getting about 40 hostages left, which would still leave 100 behind. So I could go around the world and theater after theater because I am a nerd, Sean, and this is what I do all day. <laughs> um, but I would say from my perspective, listen, I'm not a member of Congress. I do think all of this stuff should be debated, discussed. I think questioning policy, questioning the Biden administration strategy is fundamental to what we do in democracy, right? It doesn't make you anti-democratic to question a strategy. In no. fact, I deserve their strategy. I think the strategy deserves to be questioned because here we are two years in. Hey folks, during a time of crisis, are you gonna be prepared? You know, when I was White House press secretary, we spent a lot of time going through contingency operations and making sure that we were ready in an emergency. The question is, will you be? You will be though, if you go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer. Get the Patriot Power Generator 2000X to make sure that when the power goes out, whether it's an hour or a day or even a month, you will be ready. You will be able to plug in your TV, your computer, your phones, your medical devices, and yes, even your refrigerator. The beautiful thing about the Patriot Power Generator 2000X is it runs off a solar panel and that solar panel comes with it for free. So during a time of crisis, you will have the power that you need. The Patriot Power Generator is portable too. You can bring it in your house. And unlike a gas-powered one, you have to worry about filling and refilling. The Patriot Power Generator has no fumes and no noise. You can keep it in your kitchen if you wanted to power your refrigerator. You can put it in your car if a friend or a neighbor needs help. But during a crisis, during an emergency, this is what you're gonna need. Get ahead of the curve. Be ready for yourself and your family by getting the Patriot Powder Generator 2000X. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer now. The, the last question before we move to the, to the Middle East is this. I don't know that there is a strategy, and I don't know that House Republicans have been forceful enough to say, hey, if you present us with a strategy that shows what right. is the end game, what does success look like for you? Because you, you know, to your point, you slow walk the F-16s and all these other munitions that you didn't want to get you yep. don't want to provoke Putin. What, what is it that, because right now it's just prolonging, not winning. I think that's something that House Republicans need to do a better job saying, hey, money gets tied to a strategy or a loan gets tied to a strategy. Right. But I don't, I, don't, yes. I don't hear any of this coming from them. No, because, yeah, the House has been their own worst enemy when it comes to the uh, PR side of this. Listen, I think that we have, I think I have just articulated a winning strategy for yeah. our side, a way that we can pass the supplemental uh, as a loan, a way that we can question Biden, his team for uh, a failed strategy that sees this war going on two years in. Uh, I think that we have a, a lot of things where we are morally right, in my opinion. And yeah, I'm actually frustrated that House Republicans are not arguing the points I just made. All right, let's move a little around the globe here and, and go to, you brought up what's going on in Israel. Right now, 
uh, when when Biden got done eating ice cream last night with with Seth Meyers, and um, this isn't a joke. I mean, this is so oh, how pathetic things are. He starts commenting about. Uh, he said uh, he hopes that a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas would pause hostilities and allow for the remaining hostages to be released, and it could take. Uh, effect by early next week. Asked when he thought a ceasefire would begin, Biden said, quote, well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend, the end of the weekend, my national security advisor tells me we're close. We're close. We're not done yet. My hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. One, is that realistic? And two, is that the right strategy? Definitely not the right strategy. It's it's realistic if this administration forces Israel to accept it. There's a lot wrong with this deal that has been presented publicly. First of all, uh, talking about this over the ice cream cone, I, I understand a reporter asked him, and so it's not like he couldn't answer, but the optics of it, yeah. you know, when I saw the optics of it, when I saw him flippantly answering it over an ice cream cone, my heart immediately went out to the parents, the family members of the Americans who are still held hostage. And I met with those family members uh, while I was in Israel in January. And I just thought, you know, there's six Americans that are still held hostage by a terrorist group uh, in Gaza since October 7th. And, you know, those parents that are holding on to every bit of hope that their government is going to rescue their child. Um, and by the way, two hostages died in 2024 in captivity. That's the only reason we're down to six, not because we got more out. So those parents, if you can, I mean, my worst nightmare, your parent, Sean, our worst nightmare would be for our child to be held hostage by a terrorist group. And you would hold on and cling on to everything that the president says. And the way he so flippantly disgusted, disgusted over ice cream, uh, I thought was just, just did such a disservice to the families. Speaking of that, I never heard him mention about getting the Americans home uh, in, in, in that answer. Uh, he never talks about it. You know, the media just conveniently ignores the fact that we still have Americans held hostage by a terror group, maybe because they're Jewish. I mean, listen, as a Jewish American, that's the only thing I can think of is that our, our lives are somehow worth less to this administration, that they wouldn't even be willing to do a primetime address to discuss. Can I, can I ask this? I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when people sure. say this, this is what blows my mind. When I was uh, the president's press secretary, the White House press secretary, his daughter, is Jewish. His son-in-law, who served as the senior advisor, is Jewish. National security advisor, Gary Cohen. Stephen Miller, the domestic policy uh, lead, Jewish. Steve Mnuchin, um, treasury secretary, Jewish. And I, I mean, I, I actually could go on. I, those are just off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Max Miller, uh, who was in yeah. the, one of his aides. I mean, I could go down the list and I'm just, it's like, but he, and by the way, who had all these accomplishments, you know, in support of Israel, was unwavering, was considered anti-Semitic. And yet here's Biden allowing all of this to run rampant and yet nothing. And like, I, I just, it's funny to, no, it's not, I shouldn't say that, but it's not funny. It's so ironic that you had accusations thrown at a president who had a record and, and people around him. And yet this White House you go, well, I'm sorry, like you're allowing all this to fester on campuses and, and online and, yeah. and they, they're pandering to uh, the Arab community in Michigan today because it's the primary. Like when you say you really wonder, do, do, you, do you truly believe that like this administration, that Joe Biden and the folks around him actually don't value the lives as much as they do someone who's maybe Christian? I can't explain 
why they are not talking about the Americans left behind. Why are they are not? Well, don't you think I can I yeah. answer that? I think it's because they're they're They can't they don't have a plan. They can't get them out. They don't know what to do. And so yeah. it's just like it's like the border. Let's pretend it doesn't exist and not talk about it. I that's I just think that they're they're It's it's like that. Robert Gates saying that there's nothing that Joe Biden hasn't screwed up in X number of years of foreign policy. I just, he doesn't know what to do. His team doesn't have any real solutions. And so he ignores it, but I'm right. I mean, how many people are still doing something to support these, these hostages? I, I just think it's incompetence. Yeah. But that's why I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and going back to the ice cream, remember too, um, <laughs> he started talking about ceasefire. That's not the language that we were using initially when we right. had two rounds of hostage negotiations. We called it a humanitarian pause. Ceasefire is the term of Hamas, of, of leftist activists, and the administration is now using that word ceasefire. I mean, listen, if, if, if it is a true ceasefire, if it lasts for six weeks, if Israel does not go into Rafah, then Hamas lives to see another day. You know what, Morgan? I'm looking at my primary calendar here. I keep my little cheat sheet. And guess what? Today is the Michigan primary. There's over 200,000 Arab American voters. They're very concerned about that. Do you think politics, I, I'm just wondering, I'm looking at the calendar here, Michigan primary, 200,000 plus Arab American voters. Uh, Biden barely won the state. Trump won it by 10,703 votes in 2016. Do you think that maybe, maybe politics is playing into the words that they maybe. use and the pronouncements? I, is that, you think that's possible? I think it's possible. I think he does not want to be embarrassed in Michigan where they have a primary. You know, I don't watch MSNBC, but I saw uh, clips going around of some of the primary voters saying that they were going to either abstain or vote for someone else instead of Biden. Vote uncommitted. You know, and so, but listen, I think it's very concerning, um, the, the anti-Semitism in America. You could argue uh, that this is the most unsafe time for Jewish Americans in, in American history. Uh, it's that serious, you know, what you see happening on campuses, you know, what you, you see uh, people who openly side with a terrorist group, who openly side with Hamas, um, you know, having, having uh, you know, protests, uh, having, you know, parade type things where they all walk around, you know, we have a lot of people who are Americans who are openly siding with a terrorist group. How far have we fallen as a country that that is now acceptable? Oh, I, and that's why I was saying that politics, I mean, Joe Biden and the pronouncements at the beginning in terms of his support for Israel shifted real quick as the, I mean, as the Michigan primary got closer into the rearview mirror, it became like suddenly let's use the language of Hamas. Let's use the language of the same side. You can claim, I, I've, I've read a lot of the other side. You can have a serious debate about the, 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 the land um, and the borders Although I, 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 I've, I, I, and I'll, again, I'll put a pin on it. I, I think that you can have a debate on it. That's as far as I'll go on. Sure. Yeah. That being said, there is no debating what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th. That was an unprovoked killing of innocent civilians. The, as you pointed out earlier, the hostage taking of children under no circumstances, under no circumstances is that ever acceptable? Is that ever a part of, of how, uh, a war goes in, in normal course. Is that ever anything that Israel has engaged in? They haven't gone after and stolen and taken children away. I mean, and it's just, I, I, I think that you can be a Hamas advocate or a, not a Hamas, but a, but a Palestinian advocate, but, but not 
agree that that act on October 7th right. was acceptable. And the the idea that the Biden administration is saying that Israel can't retaliate this way. I mean, are you kidding me? After 9-11, we didn't write down a list of like, okay, we're going to go after him, but we're going to do it in this way. We went, George Bush said, the, I heard you and soon the people that knocked down these buildings will hear you. And we didn't sit around and pussyfoot about what was acceptable and not, we went after him. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen and hallelujah. I agree. Yeah. I All right. So- let me just kind of shift to, I want one last foreign policy question and then I want to get into a little, well, it's still foreign policy. All of this now, what's happening in terms of our reaction, our response with respect to Israel, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, what is China's thinking vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan? Is this to them the right time? They look and hear what you were saying. They don't need us to say this open source reporting about where right. our munitions are. Do they look and say, you know what? That really wasn't on the plan. It wasn't on the calendar today, but let's go for Taiwan. I hope not, right? Because that would result, as, as you know, being in the Navy in a, a catastrophic war, losses that both sides uh, have not seen in generations. So um, I, I, you know, I hope that Xi Jinping is not there. My gut is we just had the Taiwan elections in January. Uh, my gut is is that Xi Jinping likely wants to sort of um, uh, draw this out and and take over Taiwan. There's no doubt that he wants to take over Taiwan. It, it's sort of like Putin's obsession with Crimea. Uh, they're going to get it right in their minds. Uh, no matter come hell or high water, they're going to get it. Uh, what what um, Xi Jinping doesn't want is to be, you know, king of the rubble, king of the ashes, which would what which is what would happen basically uh, if they were to take over Taiwan militarily. So if you look at what they did in Hong Kong and the slow takeover politically, I think that they are willing to play the long game and try to do that with Taiwan, and that's probably their first preference. Saying that, they do have a big decision to make this year. Uh, do they want to take any action under President Biden? Or do they want to risk that they're going to get Trump back and that it's going to be a different um, situation for them? You know, there's there's many ways in which, and you could talk to military experts better than me. There's many ways in which that the Chinese are are not ready to take uh, to take us on militarily. They know it, but listen, they are what we would call a near peer competitor, um, and they're getting better and better. Right? They have more people to throw at the problem. They have more money to throw at the problem. They don't have the supply chain and industrial base issues uh, that we have. So it is um, it's incredibly concerning for sure. Um, and, and I think mostly because, listen, they have a bigger Navy than us now. Does that mean that it has the same capabilities? Uh, probably not. But listen, they're close enough that this is a real fight. It would be a real fight and a fight that we haven't seen in a long time. I don't think anybody knows. Although, I, although part of why I'm asking is I wonder under this administration if we just if we go, gosh, unfortunately, we don't have the capability. They get to take it. I it's certainly possible. As I said at the very beginning, we need to start believing dictators and despots when they say they're going to do things. And when Xi Jinping says, when he was meeting with Putin, by the way, he and Putin have met together. Uh, these two world leaders have met each other more than they have met any other world leader, more than any other world leaders have met. Like the two of them have been BFFs for, you know, 10 or 12 years now. The whole fallacy that some people who've spent two minutes studying foreign policy to say, oh, we should break Russia away from China. We should have 12 years ago. So congratulations for being late to the party um, on that one. But, um, you know, when you when you look at Xi Jinping, when you look at what he says the last time he was with Putin, he said, I'm paraphrasing, that there's going to be a change in the world order that the world hadn't seen in 100 years. 
I believe him when he says that. I believe he has every intention for not only dominating Taiwan, but the South China Sea, Asia, and then the world. The, you're absolutely, I just get a kick out of like these guys that Xi Jinping laid out a roadmap as yeah. far as where China's going. And, and then these guys guess whether what he wants to do. It's like, dude, he wrote it down for you. <laughs> he literally told you where he wants to go. And everyone's like, let's analyze this. And it's like, dude, there's no analyzing necessary. He's very clear about where he wants to go. Morgan, one of the other things um, before I let you go, I love playing the VP game, right? Oh. Uh, okay, no, no, but, but just like, yeah. hear me out, hear me out. Okay. But I thought to myself, um, I, I play it with everybody because I love okay. it and there's pros and yeah, cons. But I want to play a, a version, a different version with you. I want to okay. play the foreign policy intel oh. game with you. Okay. Oh, oh, didn't see that coming. Uh, <laughs> so, so I get, I'm, in fact, it was, it was a neighbor that asked me the other day and he said, who do you think in a second Trump term fills those key roles? So you served in the State Department. You worked with Mike Pompeo. You know all the players. Who do you think fills those senior roles? So, I, you know, first of all, I think Pompeo would be at the top of my list for anything. Yep. I think he'd be a fantastic sec def. I even think he'd be a fantastic VP. Um, listen, I don't, you know, we don't have to play the DEI games with President Trump's VP choice. It should be whoever he feels comfortable with and is the most qualified with, right? right? Um, and so, you know, I've never voted based on my ovaries or reproductive organs, and I don't think other people should be chosen based on that either. Um, and if the most qualified person and the person President Trump feels most capable with is a woman, great, good for good for the ladies, yay. Um, I, but I do think Pompeo would be a great sec def. I, yeah. He's already been CIA, he's already been sex day. I don't know that he really feels the need to go in and be, I haven't talked to him about it. I doubt he wants to be a third cabinet secretary. It's like, he's already done enough in life, but you know, if it's up to me, I think he's amazing. Um, I also think that our friend uh, Rick Grinnell, uh, Robert O'Brien, uh, John Ratcliffe, uh, these guys are all really fantastic. Oh, by the way, and they could do, whether it is NSA, CIA, sex state, all of this stuff. My top choice, he probably doesn't love me saying this because I think he's happy being a Senator, um, in Tennessee is my good friend, Bill Haggerty, who was, uh, the, who was the only person in the Senate who was in Trump's administration. He right. was Trump's ambassador to Japan. He negotiated the only FTA, which, you know, you were at USTR, uh, free trade agreement, bilateral free trade agreement. He negotiated the only one that has gotten through in the last decade, I believe. Sean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's the only FDA in the past decade to get through the Senate bilateral FDA. Yeah, he I was going to say Chorus would have been the last one before. I, yeah. I think, yeah. And, this, so, and he also negotiated. So what would you, what would you, if, if you had to place Bill Haggerty, the senator oh, from well, Tennessee, where yeah. would you put him? He, listen, Bill, John Ratcliffe, Robert O'Brien, Rick Grinnell, they could all do uh, NSA, sex day, CIA, DOD. It's up to president, the president to determine who goes where, but I think they're all immensely qualified. DNI, you know, right. they would all be great for those jobs. And yeah, you know, maybe I, I actually, number two to one of my friends. <laughs> my, my, my list is, is your list. I, I actually, I'm glad you reconfirmed that because you, you know more about that world than I do. Yeah, let me just, let me ask you a last question. Speaking of you and Bill Haggerty potentially filling a vacancy, there's a potential yeah. vacancy in the fifth district where Mark Green may or may not, apparently he's yeah, reconsidered. Sure. Would you A, consider running again? I know no. you thought about it last time no. or B, then, okay, we got to know there. Would no. you serve in a second Trump administration? Sure. I mean, I have a three-year-old. She'll be four in November around the time of the election. So, you know, that is my Perfect first. Time. 
priority. My first highest job on calling I'll ever do is be her mom. Right. So with Pompeo, I was traveling the world. I was gone half the month. I couldn't do that right now with her being so little. I mean, I love the job. It was amazing. Um, but you know, potentially we'll see. I, I think what's more important than me sort of advocating for a particular job is to actually get President Trump elected. Right. Well, I, I, he he knows your qualifications, and yeah. I, I don't doubt that 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 mm-hmm. you'd be high on the list. Anyway, Morgan, thanks for being with us. I love the insight, and I I like I said, I'm I've got like a half a page of questions left. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> we'll but, have to do it again. Yeah, I know. Uh, all right, folks, thanks for joining us. Continue to subscribe. Remember, Dr. Ben Carson's here tomorrow. Great panel on Thursday. Dave Rubin on Friday. How do you get it all? Will you subscribe? Go to YouTube, Rumble, Apple, Spotify. Hit that notification button so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for all you're doing. I appreciate it. We'll see you back here tomorrow with Ben Carson. Have a great night.